0: Turn with me this morning, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this last section of our Hope to Hang In There series that we uh, are completing this morning. And let me say once again to those who've come in, Happy New Year. To those who've joined us online, Happy New Year to you. We're so glad you are with us this morning. Paul finishes his letter to the church at Thessalonica with a, um, a combination prayer and blessing. It's a as if Paul, in his mind, as he pens these words, are standing right there with these folks that he loves so dearly. And he's saying these words right to their face. He's, he's sharing his heart. He's speaking into their lives as he shares these final words. He's not looking up to heaven. He's looking into their eyes. He's talking to God. But he's also extending a blessing at the same time as he prays and blesses these people Now, throughout the letter, Paul has commended them, confronted their areas for improvement. Have you been convicted this year yet on an area of improvement that you need to give attention to in this new year? Have you uh, asked God to show you where you need to, to strengthen your life, strengthen your faith? Well, He's spoken into their lives about areas of improvement. He's affirmed their strengths. He, he expresses time and time again his deep affection, for these readers and for this particular church. In chapter 1, he says, I I give thanks for you. In chapter 2, he says, I love you dearly. In chapter 3, he says, I'm concerned for you. In chapter 4, he says, I exhort you. In chapter 5, he continues, he says, "I, I encourage you. And now Paul prays. And what Paul prays for the Thessalonians, we can take and pray for ourselves at the beginning of this new year. We can take these words and pray them for each other individually as we uh, live out the one another's of the New Testament in the, in the context of the body of Christ. And we can pray them for us corporately as a body of Christ. Let's pray that we excel in our Christian faith and make gigantic strides forward spiritually this year. I want that for my life. Don't that, you want that for your life this year too? I want to be more like Jesus this year. Lord, help me. Do you want that for your life too? Let's examine Paul's prayer and make this our prayer as we begin in chapter 5, picking up in verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. So what do we see here as we we think about a prayer to excel spiritually this year? Well, first of all, pray for spiritual progress this year. Look at verses 23 and 24 again as you think about spiritual progress. May the God of peace sanctify you. This word sanctify means to to set apart unto God. It refers to the process of of holiness. God calls us to be holy as He is holy. He wants to see holiness in our lives. He calls us to be holy. And the emphasis here is the result of being holy, which is living a holy life. Living a life of holiness. Paul has already mentioned their holiness in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. Then he, he makes a strong statement. Remember, in chapter 4, verse 3, in the context of, of uh, sexual immorality, he says, uh, uh, It is God's will that we grow in our holiness. It is God's will that we be found to be holy. And he says, God did not call us, verse 7, to uncleanness, but in holiness. In that key chapter. Then Paul gives practical examples of what holy living looks like in chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now, these are just some some samples. This is a sampling. These are just some examples. Look what he says. He says in chapter 5, verse 12, We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be Be at peace among yourselves... And we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit... Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And he caps these comments, these, these uh, exhortations, these commands, if you will, with this prayer for holiness in his final remarks. We are holy because we are set apart from sin and set apart to a unique relationship with, with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about this old, uh, this, this New Testament concept of, of holiness, when you think about the doctrine of sanctification, simply put, there are four basics of san- sanctification that we need to understand. First of all, God sanctifies. God sanctifies. Sanctification is the work of God. Now, Paul used the intensifying pronoun himself, but he adds more emphasis by making himself the first word of the sentence in the Greek grammar. Now may God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you. What he's saying there is, God is really doing a work in your life. God is really wanting to do a work in your life. God is working. We cannot experience this kind of spiritual transformation, the kind that we need, without God's touch and God's help. We cannot get to where God wants us to be spiritually in 2022 without God doing His work in our lives, without God's help, without God's touch. It is God Himself who sanctifies. Now, Paul said God is the God of peace, who sanctifies you completely or entirely. This word refers to... to, uh, through and through. He sanctifies us through and through to, to completeness. He sanctifies us um, to the point... He, Paul asked that God that nothing in these believers' lives would escape His sanctifying power, that every part of their life would be sanctified. The word peace, of course, means completeness or wholeness or a complete satisfaction of the whole person. That's why Paul prays that our spirit and our soul and our body be preserved. Every dimension of our lives, every part of our lives needs to be set apart unto God. That's what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Turn back there for me, with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You're familiar with this passage of Scripture? This is exactly what he's saying here in this prayer of blessing and in this exhortation. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, there was a strong language. I beg you, I urge you. This is an urgent matter, he says, to the church at Rome. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's a great word again. The work of God through His Holy Spirit working in our lives to transform us from where we are spiritually to where He wants us to be spiritually. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now take just a moment and meditate and reflect on this passage of Scripture in the context of our First Thessalonians chapter 5 passage. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Look it over again. This is a great, wonderful New Year's challenge in these two verses. Think about your life. What is God saying to you? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, God does His part, but we have to do our part. We have to present ourselves. We have to be available. We have to be willing. We have to be obedient, don't we? We have to be submissive. We have to lay our lives on the altar and say, God, take me and, 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 and let me be your living sacrifice. And when we do our part, then God is free to do His part in the work of sanctification, in the work of holiness. So we need to commit on this first Sunday of the new year to, to do our part and to the Lord to let Him have the freedom to work in our lives without any limitations, without any hindrances, without any excuses. If we picture our heart as a house, Oftentimes we give God all of our house except maybe this room or that corner or that secret closet or that secret place where we keep something we don't want anybody else to find. And we we hold back and we say, hey, God, you can have it all except for this part. God wants to sanctify us through and through in, in our entirety, and that includes the way we think, the way we act, the way we prioritize, the way we relate, the way we dress, our attitudes, every relationship. What else does God do? He preserves blameless. The word preserves means to keep an eye on, to keep carefully in view, to watch over Barclay states this word blameless describes what the Christian is to the world. When the world looks at our life, they want to see a pure life. People looking at this life see purity, not worldliness. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. That's not what Paul is saying here. But because we've accepted Christ alone for salvation, because we've turned from our sinful state and turned to God through the act of repentance, turned to Jesus... And accepted Him as our Savior, we'll be standing before our Savior when that day comes with no rebuke, no condemnation, no guilt. We are blameless in that sense in the eyes of Christ because of His work on the cross and because you by faith received Jesus Christ as Savior. Now look at the word blameless. The word blameless means that we stand before God and God asks, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that question this morning? And we can say, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, I am am not faultless, but because of the work of Christ, I am blameless. This speaks of our state, which leads us to the second fact of sanctification. Second, sanctification happens in three phases. Positional sanctification happens the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. The believer in Jesus Christ is set apart by God, set apart for God, rather, by the Holy Spirit. In Paul's introduction, for example, of 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the church at Corinth, he identifies himself as the writer, which is his typical pattern. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he identifies his recipients. He says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth... To those who are sanctified, or your translation may say, set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. What's he saying about the church at Corinth, these saints? He's saying they are set apart. They are saints. Their, their position is set apart. So there's positional sanctification. Then there's progressive sanctification. Sanctification is an ongoing reality for the serious believer who presents himself or herself to the Lord each day and says, God, take my life and work in my life and help me not to be a hindrance to you. Uh, do your work in my life and, 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 and see me as a, as a blank slate because I want you to make me holy as you are holy. That's called submission. John MacArthur defines sanctification. "...as the ongoing spiritual process by which God increasingly sets believers apart from sin... "...and moves them towards holiness." In other words, we don't arrive at holiness overnight. Let me, let me read that definition again. Sanctification is the ongoing spiritual process by which God... "...increasingly sets believers apart from sin... "...and moves them towards holiness." Every day, we walk with the Lord. God is working in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. Call it spiritual transformation. Call it a spiritual uh, maturity process. Call it spiritual growth. God does His work, but we have to cooperate with Him. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. We've been looking at these, uh, some of these passages on Wednesday night. He says, we must pursue holiness like like an animal pursues its prey. Again, God does His part, but we do our part to desire holiness, to pursue holiness, to cooperate with God as He helps us to grow. So there's positional sanctification. There's progressive sanctification. All of us who are believers, who are seriously following Jesus... Are in the process of, of God working in our lives, and hopefully we're making progress day by day and week by week and, and year by year as, as we cooperate with God and He does His work in our lives. But then there is the third part perfect sanctification. Perfect sanctification, which brings us to our next point. Third, sanctification continues until Jesus comes or until we leave this earth and go to Jesus. Paul in verse 23 again mentions the, the uh, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every chapter we find a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us has arrived at perfect holiness, but we should be pursuing holiness as God commanded. And then in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we, we, we gain this insight. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So there's going to become a day in which we see Jesus. But until that time, we should be pursuing holiness as commanded. Perfect sanctification occurs when we get to heaven or when Jesus returns, His second coming. Now, remember, once again, let's remind ourselves, <clears throat> only Jesus is perfect. In the opening chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, you remember that verse? Jesus says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, Jesus doesn't mean be perfectly sinless. He doesn't mean be perfect in terms of... of uh, Absolute one hundred percent purity in your human state—that's impossible on this side of eternity. He means be spiritually mature. That's what the word "perfect" means: be mature, be growing, be growing in your holiness, be growing in your Christ likeness, be growing in your your uh, in your spiritual life. It's another way to say strive for holiness. No one is perfect except Jesus. Then fourth. Look at verse 24. Remember, God always finishes what He starts. God always finishes what He starts. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Now, some days, let's be honest, we just, in our human state, in our run down state, and sometimes our burned out state, we just don't feel like pursuing holiness, do we? I mean, we just don't feel like running the race, yet God is still working. God is always faithful to His Word. He keeps His promises. And what He starts, He will finish. Do you remember that key verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? It's a great passage. Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's another reference to the Second Coming, the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, God expects each of us to grow in holiness this year. God wants to see spiritual transformation in our lives. He wants to see us with, with a holy attitude. He wants to, to hear holy speech coming off our tongues. He wants to see uh, holy thoughts coming into our minds. He wants to see priorities that, that uh, reflect Seeking first the kingdom of God and pursuing a holy life. He, he wants to see us moving closer and closer to Christ's likeness He wants to see us growing in holiness this year. So, what is your plan? Are you going to be passive and just kind of Kind of mosey along through each day, day by day, and the next thing you know, we're turning the calendar to 2023 and you really haven't made any great strides forward spiritually? Or are you going to be intentional and deliberate and decisive? For example, what is what is what is your Bible reading plan this year? What is your scripture memory goal this year? as you hide God's Word in your heart. How do you plan to strengthen your prayer life this year? Here's a start. You can take this, this outline that we're using this morning and for the next couple of weeks or through the month of January, pray this for yourself and pray this for your church. These points. What about your witnessing life? You may or may not remember this. It seems like ancient times from this point, thinking back. But in early 2020, we started an emphasis entitled, Who's Your One? We were asking you to to ask God to lay one person, a relative, a work associate, a a neighbor, somebody that you felt in your heart of hearts was lost and far from God, and to really concentrate on praying for that person, building a relationship with that person, being intentional in, in, in developing uh, that relationship with that person to the point of sharing Jesus, of, a, of sharing a verbal witness with them. That's, that's the first step of discipleship. Listen, you, you can't start growing as a disciple until you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, right? You can't be a follower of Christ until you say yes to Jesus. An answer is called to salvation. So we got folks all around us who need help taking that first step so they can become disciples. Folks who need to know Jesus. That still needs to be our priority. What is your plan in that area of Christian responsibility this year? What is is your plan in terms of of helping folks come to know Jesus? What is your uh, your, your, your plan in terms of your own personal ministry outside of your normal routine? Or maybe a, a mission trip of some kind, even a personal mission trip in which you, you, you step outside your comfort zone and, and you uh, depend on the Lord to, to, uh, to empower you and use you in a different setting, culture, or context. Well, second, pray for strengthened fellowship this year. Look at verses 25 and 26. Paul just cuts straight to the chase and says, Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a, with a holy kiss. His final words as he closes out this epistle. Now, he, he starts by calling the recipients of this letter brethren. And the word literally means one born from the same womb, having the same father and mother. It refers to a close association of a group of persons having a well-defined membership. And in this usage... It refers to to a group of fellow believers, both male and female. It's another way to refer to a particular church family. Paul is addressing the men and women who make up the body of Christ at Thessalonica. He's addressing every believer in the body of Christ at Thessalonica. And interestingly, brethren is the first word in this Greek sentence, which indicates emphasis. Paul is saying, listen, Folks, don't miss this. Brethren, don't miss this. This is extremely important. And then he references three actions that each of us can take to build up the body of Christ, to strengthen the body of Christ. First of all, pray for your ministers. Paul requests prayer for himself, for Timothy, for Silas, or Sylvanus, possibly in your translation. The basic idea of this word used for prayer is to bring something to God, talking face-to-face to to God and bringing your request. This this is the general word for prayer, covering all aspects of a prayer, whether it's praise, whether it's confession, whether it's petition, whether it's intercession, whether it's uh, praying for our missionaries, praying for the lost, um, all, all sorts of prayer, everything that's involved in praying. Paul opens his letter... To the Thessalonians, telling them that he's praying for them, chapter 1, verse 2, and he closes his letter to the Thessalonians requesting that they pray for him, or technically them, their missionaries. Paul believed in the power and effectiveness of prayer. Do we? A Bible commentator named Edmund Hebert wrote that this request assures readers that it is the privilege of the saints to pray for the most honored servant of the Lord, and he seeks and values their prayers. Paul knew of no faster way to get the gospel through enemy lines than by enlisting fellow believers to pray, to be prayer warriors. That's why it's so important for us to pray for our missionaries by name. That's why it's so important to pray for the lost by name, not only who's your one, but a list of lost folks. We forget We have to remind ourselves, we know this, but we just live like it's not true, that we are in a spiritual battle, we're in spiritual warfare, and prayer is one of our greatest weapons. Are we going to neglect prayer this year, or are we going to pay attention to prayer this year? Governments can shut down churches, they can arrest pastors, they can persecute believers, And it's happening around the world as we sit here this morning in our comfortable sanctuary and thank God for another year. It's happening as we speak. But nothing can stop our praying or our prayers from speeding into the ears and the heart of God. The only thing that can stop prayer is our failing to pray. I want to encourage you to be a prayer warrior this year to step up your prayer life, to formalize your prayer life, to pray off a formal prayer list, to, to, to maybe journal your answered prayer, to, uh, to, to pay attention to prayer in a way that maybe you haven't done so or that you've slackened up and, and haven't given attention to. Robert Murray McShane said, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. Leonard Ravenhill said, The self-sufficient do not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. Write that down in your Bible. No man is greater than his prayer life. Dear friends, pray for each other this year. And especially pray for your pastor Especially pray for your fellow ministers, your, your church leaders, your officers, your and for, for each other. How do you pray? Pray for protection. Pray for spiritual growth in their lives, for, for growth in holiness in their lives. We struggle just like you do. We need your prayers as we pray for you. Pray for boldness to proclaim for wisdom, for for great relationships. Pray for our refocused strategy planning process. Pray for the lost. Pray pray for conviction in their hearts that they would, would see their need for Jesus. Folks, without prayer, we can accomplish nothing. Without prayer, we are relying on our own human strength and ability. Without prayer, we will eventually burn out. Chuck Swindoll wrote, Think about what this means for us. If the Apostle Paul, eyewitness of Christ, spiritually gifted among me- beyond measure, needed the Thessalonians' prayers, why do we think our own pastors, teachers, elders, deacons, missionaries, or evangelists don't need our prayers? Don't forget to pray this year. Second, how else can we strengthen the fellowship? By showing loving affirmation, and affection for each other. Look at verse 26. Greet all the brethren and there's that word talking about the entire church family with a holy kiss. Now back in those times people often kissed each other on the cheek as a greeting, not only a goodbye, but as a as a greeting. But think about the bigger picture here. The holy kiss indicates that an uninhibited, unhesitant acceptance of one another. An openness to to everybody, regardless of status, regardless of tenure, regardless of race, we say, as a core value in the life of our church, this this surfaced in our study as we were putting together our uh, our refocused foundation that we highly value building significant relationships. What Paul is talking about here is showing others that we actually care about them in in tangible, physical ways, that we send messages of affirmation as, as we greet each other. But not only that, that we take it further and that we actually get to know each other beyond Sunday morning greetings that we invest time in one another, that we, that we show genuine interest and we have genuine interest in each other, that, that we uh, uh, embrace the uniqueness of the makeup of our congregation and we, we truly are a family before God and we love each other and they know we are believers and Christians because of our unique love for each other. Paul said, greet all the brethren. We are blessed with a unique variety of backgrounds and cultures and experiences and testimonies in this church family. And we need to celebrate that fact, and we need to go further to get to know one another and, and accept one another. And again, all the brethren, Paul said. Now let me speak to fellowship for just a moment. A major part of, of the feedback and the input that we that we heard as we met with our Grow Group leaders uh, through this process of of. Working through our Sunday morning schedule and tweaking our Sunday morning schedule, uh, one of the things we heard that was lacking is that we need intentional, built-in fellowship time on Sunday morning. Now we need to have fellowship at other times. We need to, and that doesn't mean just meeting and eating. That means spending time together and get to know each other and praying together and investing in each other, as I was sharing about just a few moments ago. But we've built in this 9:30 to 9:55 time on Sunday mornings. To, uh, to be intentionally uh, intentional about spending some time together before worship service starts. So we need to take advantage of that as best we can in our, in our current context and what we're hoping and praying for is that, that somebody who is passionate about strengthening the fellowship of this church and who has uh, whatever gift you have to have to know how to do that fancy fluffy frilly coffee stuff that you guys drink. Uh, Mike could, could take this on as a ministry, and uh, put together something for us in the courtyard that we would look forward to each Sunday morning as we come together and prepare our hearts for worship. We're not there yet, but that's going to be a priority in terms of of, uh, prioritizing Sunday morning fellowship. And again, we need to fellowship at other times. But this is Sunday morning when the church is gathered to worship, when we're coming together on the Lord's Day to worship and to study. And we want to go beyond just waving at each other across the sanctuary to try to build fellowship. So, so uh, just make that a matter of prayer. Look at verse 27. Third, to strengthen the fellowship, promote the reading of God's Word. And when we say the reading of God's Word, Paul talks about reading here. We're talking about diving in and studying and, and taking in God's Word and making God's Word a part of your life and, and uh, going beyond just in, in grow groups, sharing the sharing of information, but, but uh, truly trying to, to build believers and build lives and, and uh, let God use that grow group time for spiritual transformation. Paul ordered them to be sure his epistle is read to every person in their fellowship. The word means to place someone under a solemn charge. It's as if Paul made them take an oath that they would read this letter and make sure every person saw this letter. This command reminds us that the Word of God is central to the spiritual health of our church. It's important to prioritize reading Scripture Personally and corporately. Everyone needs to read and take in God's Word personally and every week, corporately, if he or she is to grow in the Lord this year. Every Sunday, we come together and we open up the bread of life and we preach what's in God's Word, expository preaching, verse by verse, section by section, trying to find contemporary application. And occasionally we, we do so topically, but also with a, always with a biblical text. And then our grow groups, as I mentioned. We teach the Bible, not for information, not just for inspiration, but for transformation. So let me ask you a question. How is, how is God's Word transforming your life? If you were handed the mic for just thirty second testimony, what would you say about how how God's word, maybe a particular Bible verse, or maybe something that was said in, in, in a group discussion in Grow Group, or something that was shared uh, somewhere along the way in a devotional, as you read God's word, how, you know how how has God's word inspired and transformed your life over the past year? How would you answer that? Put yourself in a position for God to speak to you through His Word by making sure that you're disciplined to read His Word and to study His Word and to hear His Word proclaimed week in and week out. Well, as we take stock, as we think about submitting ourselves, presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, as we dedicate ourselves at the beginning of this year, think about these questions that sometimes we pull out at the beginning of a new year. What is one thing that you can do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? What's the most humanly impossible thing that God will ask of you this year? And are we willing to say yes to God? What's the single most important thing you can do to improve the quality of your family life this year? In which spiritual discipline do you most want to make progress this year, and what will you do about it? We've talked this morning about Bible study, about Scripture memory, about uh, praying, about witnessing, about serving beyond the, uh, the routine, the mission trip or whatever. What is the single biggest time waster in your life? And what will you do about it this year? How will you discipline yourself? What is the most helpful way you can strengthen your church this year? For whose salvation will you pray most fervently this year? What is the most important way That you will make this year different than last year? What one thing can you do to improve your prayer life this year? What single thing that you plan to do this year will matter the most in 10 years or in eternity? Obviously, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, accepting Christ as your Savior at the beginning of the new year will matter the most in eternity. And I encourage you to make that decision if you have not done so yet. We'd love to talk to you about that decision. If you'll reach out to us at the email address on the screen right here at dchancy at mcdonaldroad.org. We'll be glad to get with you this week and talk to you about your decision. If you're here today and want to talk about it, I'll be hanging around for a little bit between worship and grow groups And we would love to talk to you about that decision because that is life's most important decision. And every person needs to say yes to Jesus and receive His free gift of eternal life. What is it God has said to you this morning about your life and a decision that you need to make that if you say no to Him or if you put it off, you procrastinate, to fail to do it would be disobedience. Let's pray together. Father, we give You thanks for the opportunity to start the new year with a scriptural biblical challenge. Thank you, Lord, for this prayer to excel. And we pray, Lord, that we will excel ourselves as we present ourselves, dedicate ourselves, be intentional in our direction, and as we pursue holiness, Lord, thank you for your work. Thank you for what you do. Please give us the strength and discipline to do what we need to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And we celebrate our giving. Thank you for your faithfulness. And on this first Sunday of the year, uh, we're going to have somebody come and lead us in our offertory prayer right now. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to get together, God. Thank you for another year, another day. Lord, I just pray that you will impress upon the hearts of everyone, myself included, the importance of our own personal spiritual growth, that if we all grow spiritually than the entire body and church as a whole will grow, Lord. And that if we all would change and just repent and come to you, the amount of change we would see in this church would be far greater than anything we could ever imagine. Lord, I pray that we begin that process, Lord, by all of us taking a very serious look at our giving. Lord, and giving to you our first fruits because you have so richly blessed us. God, I ask all this in your holy name. Amen.